In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the lands and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. You have glad the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest, as warriors rejoice. When dividing the plunder, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke, but burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and and the government will be on his shoulders. He and he called and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on, the, on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Hi everyone, my name's Dave, I'm one of the pastors here. Special welcome if this is one of your first times here with us. Big welcome to you, love to have you here today. Look, as Christmas approaches, I have to say that I am a bit of a Christmas skeptic. I, I think I've always been a Christmas skeptic, particularly from a young age. Um, probably from the day I found out that Santa wasn't real. I think that just really shook me as a young kid and I just decided to reject any concept that Christmas was special in any way. And so I became that kid, right? I became the kid who told all the other kids that Santa's a lie and their parents are lying to them. Like, that, uh, that was me as a kid, and I took it to full extent. Like, you know how in primary school, you've got to do those speeches in class? So in primary school, I had a really bad stutter. I stuttered through a 10-minute talk on how if Santa was real, then his sleigh would have to be going so fast that the air molecules would explode like a meteor going through the Earth's atmosphere and the implications that would have on the reindeer. Like, I was dead set, <laughs> wanted people to realise that Christmas was not special. And it's, it's, it's not just the Santa thing, right? It, even the Christmas story, it always bugged me that we celebrate Christmas in December. I mean, we don't know that Jesus was born in December, and if you looked at it, then it's probably more likely it wasn't in winter because the shepherds were in fields at night. It was probably some other time like summer or spring. And it's okay, we can celebrate his birthday now, that's fine. But it wasn't just that. It's 
the wise men, we don't know there were three, and we always make out there's three, and they probably didn't go to the stable, they probably came months or even years later. And even the name Christmas, I'm, I'm really going on, aren't I? The, the name Christmas, it's not even a, a word in the Bible, it's a Catholic church service that, that, that is about the Mass that they celebrate to celebrate the Nativity. And so every Christmas, these are the type of things that are going through my head and my heart, and then they give me a microphone, and this is what happens. So... <laughs> I, I just find it hard to believe that there's anything so special about Christmas that deserves all this attention. Do you sometimes feel like that? Even as a Christian, if you're a Christian here, for me, my temptation is to think, why are we giving so much attention to Jesus' birth? When the most amazing thing, surely the most amazing thing about Jesus is His death and resurrection, because in His death, he, he dies for me, He takes the punishment that I deserve and in His resurrection, He raises to life and He gives me hope of life after death. Surely that's the thing that we should be singing songs about. And so, that's the question, what, what is so special about Jesus' birth? Why does it deserve so much attention in light of Jesus' death, if that's really the great thing? Well, friends, that's what we're going to be looking at today. And the reality is, it is genuinely amazing. Because beside Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' birth is one of the most incredible, shocking and wonderful things in the Bible. It is awesome. Let me pray, let's pray together and ask God to help us understand why Jesus' birth is so amazing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we look at Your Word today, as we approach this time of year where we celebrate Jesus' birth, please give us soft hearts. Please help us to understand your word and help us understand what you have done in this world you have created and help us be blown away by it. Amen. Friends, at the heart of the Christmas story is this word, this name, Emmanuel. Right? And even more than a name, it's a promise. Emmanuel is this promise that sits at the heart of the Christmas event. So, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet spoke to the Israelites and he said that God was going to provide a special child, a baby, who will be called great things. That's what Micah just read for us on the video. Take a look again from verse 6. Isaiah says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on, and forever. See, in Isaiah, six, seven hundred years before Jesus is born, God promises to send a child who will rule and have great power, not just for a period of time, but for eternity, a forever king. But we don't first hear about this child in Isaiah 9, we actually hear about him a couple of chapters earlier in Isaiah 7. So, take a look at how we're first introduced to this promised child in Isaiah chapter 7 from verse 13. Isaiah says, Hear now, you house of David, 
Is it not enough that you try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel. So, in this passage, what God's doing is drawing a distinction between humanity and God Himself, and God says that this child, this child in chapter 9, who will be great and powerful forever, would be named, would be called Emmanuel, which wasn't a common name. This is not a name that you can pick out in a book, in a child name book or anything like that. It's a weird name because what it means is God with us. That is, if you saw an Emmanuel, I don't know if we've got any Emmanuels here today, if you said, hi, Emmanuel, you'd be saying, hi, God with us. That's the name. Now, here's the thing, for someone who knew their Old Testament, for a Jewish person reading this, this name would bring up all kinds of excitement. Not because they've heard it before, but the idea of God being with us is a theme that runs through the Bible. Even from the beginning of the Bible, from creation, we're told about how Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. Being with God was something that humans were somehow able to do before the fall. And when, when humans sinned, it seems like for the rest of the Bible is in some way trying to get back to that relationship of being with God. So when the people of Israel escape from Egypt and Moses brings them out and they come to Mount Sinai, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he meets with God. God walks in front of him and Moses is with God. And when King David talks in the Psalms, he talks about this ideal of being with God. So Psalm 118 says, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I look in triumph over my enemies. See, this great hope, this promise of King David and, the, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the prophets in the Old Testament, they all looked forward to a time when God Himself would come to be with His people, would, be, would come to them and be with them. The whole trajectory of the Old Testament is this growing hope that one day God will once again be with us. But the thing is, it's always left a little bit unclear as to how God, or in what way, God would be with us. I mean, even in that psalm that we looked at, it seems like God's going to be with us in a supportive way. David seems to be thinking that God's with him in a supportive way, kind of like a, a crowd cheering on a team, like, yay, we're with you, that type of idea. Is God going to be with us like that? Or is it God going to be near to us? Is it that we're going to be able to reach out and touch Him? Is that the idea that God means when He says He's going to be with us? But the problem with the idea of just being near to God, God being with us proximity-wise, what happens if you're not around when that child was born? What if, say, for example, you happen to be born about 2,000 years after that child was born? Can you really say that God is with you if, you, if He was one baby, one man, at one point in history? Can we really say that He is with us? How exactly is God, Emmanuel, with us? Well, friends, this is the amazing thing about Christmas. When God promised that He would be 
with us. He meant something much more than cheering us on and I'm with you. And he meant something even more fundamental than being near to us. Because when we do look at Jesus, born in the manger and raised and died, we find out who he is. We find out that in Jesus, God is with us in this other sense. He is with us in the sense that he is with our humanity. He is with our nature. He is with our flesh and bones and blood. That is, when God promised to come and be with us, what he was promising was that he would be with us in the sense that he would become one of us. And this is why, if you're a Christian, you know the song in Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, we have that great song about who Jesus is. Did you realise it's a Christmas song? Let me, let me read it again uh, from chapter 2, end of verse 5. See how this is about the Christmas event. Have the same mind of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather, he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, the baby in the manger, is God become human. God with flesh on. It's the creator of the universe taking on the form of a creature. See, Jesus is God, not just in a supporting humanity way, and He's not just near our team, He is on our team. He is in our flesh, He is with us. Now, it's a tough concept to kind of get your head around. It's explained more in Hebrews 2. Come look at Hebrews chapter 2 with me, because Hebrews chapter 2 explains why Jesus, why God in Jesus became one of us. So, Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 14. It says, since the children, I'll read this slowly because there's quite a lot of stuff in it. Since the children, that is, since God's people have flesh and blood, He too, Jesus too, shared in their humanity so that by His death, He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And free those, so he shares in their humanity, to free those who all their lives are held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps. That is, it's not that species, it's not that type of creature that Jesus helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, that is, a mediator who brings us to God, in service of God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. This passage in Hebrews is describing us all, it's describing all humanity, the human species, and we are all slaves to death. We're all decaying dust, you know, in, in, in funerals, when the minister says, earth to earth, dust to dust, it's because that's what we are. We're dust, we're decaying dust. And God's Son, God's eternal Son, comes in and He shares 
our humanness. He comes and he shares in our dustness. He descends from eternal perfection and he becomes one of us. He becomes human dust to defeat human's greatest enemy, death, that turns us to dust. See, the Christmas event is about God uniting himself to dust in the manger. That's why it's worth celebrating Jesus' birth. The conception and birth of Jesus is this supernatural moment when God, who has no form, who is, who is without limits, who is outside of space and time, he unites himself, he binds himself with his creation. It's like God sows the very nature of space and time into his own being. That is, at Jesus' conception and birth, God permanently binds his being with humans, to us. That is, what happened at Christmas, at that first Christmas, was permanent. What happened at that Christmas event is eternal. See, some Christians have this idea that, uh, that, that Jesus kind of put off his humanity after he raised from the dead. They have this idea that, uh, that God sent his eternal son down, and Jesus comes and he kind of puts on a human suit, and he kind of lives out the human life, and he kind of, on earth, fixes things up, goes through the death thing, and then when he raises to life, he goes back to be the father, and he kind of unzips the human suit and returns to normal. But God's son can't take off the human suit. He didn't go home and stop being human. Jesus has never stopped being human. Because he can't. From the day of his conception and birth and into eternity future, God's son is now flesh. He is bones and blood. He, he is glorious bones and blood. <laughs> but he is flesh. Today, this very moment and for eternity, God has bound himself to humanity in Jesus. Uh, we see this in places, let me show you, so places like Philippians 3, uh, Philippians 3 from verse 20, it says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body, the body He has now in eternity. See, this is the amazing, shocking, wonderful thing about God becoming man. It's that God has bound Himself to us. He's bound Himself to mankind for eternity. The Son of God can't take off the human suit. It's who He is. In that manger, God and man are bound together in nature and being forever, for eternity, and for us. That's what it means for God to be with us. That's what Emmanuel means. And it's this understanding of the Christmas event that actually makes Jesus' death and resurrection all the more amazing. Because at the cross, Jesus takes this union, sorry, at the cross, God takes this union in Jesus of 
God and humanity, He takes it to the full extent, to death. God deals with death, with the problem of human death from the inside, not from the outside. See, when we understand Christmas rightly, Jesus' death and resurrection becomes all the more amazing because at Jesus' death we see that God is with us. He's with us in our fear of death and He's with us even in our experience of death and because He's God, Jesus leads humanity out of death. Jesus takes on death on behalf of of the human race and He beats it for us so that we can be raised and be with Him. See friends, this isn't some philosophical, theological idea, it is that, it's an awesome philosophical and theological idea, but this idea that we will be with God, that we will be with Jesus, the man with flesh and bones, we will. We will be with the man Jesus, Jesus, because He has become one of us and defeated death, He will raise us to death, raise us from death to be with Him. The day will come when we will embrace the man Jesus and cry tears of joy and thanks for the way He has acted for us, to save us. So what are we we meant to do with this? This Christmas, in the midst of the food and the planning and the presents, what what does all this mean for us? Let me offer two ideas. First, I want to encourage us to be in awe of God this Christmas. Just blown away by Him. Allow yourself to be blown away again and again by God's amazing commitment to save humans like us. Because He didn't have to, right? He could have just destroyed humanity. He didn't have to do what He did. But when you see the posters and the cards and the nativity scene with Jesus in the manger, be reminded that this is God the Son stitching Himself into His own creation, binding Himself to the fabric of space and time and to our species, to humanity. Be blown away by that again and again. This Christmas, be amazed of God's kindness. Final thought is this. Friends, God has come near to us. That's one of the things we see at Christmas. To be with us, to be like us. Are you willing to come near to God? So you might be here and you might not call yourself a Christian or you might think yourself a Christian, you might wear that tag, but but God doesn't really play a role in your life. And it might be that you're really holding God at arm's length. You might want God to stay over there and not be with you. If that's you, can I suggest you're missing out on the greatest thing in life? Not just about Christmas, not just the greatest thing about Christmas, but the greatest thing about life. There's nothing better than knowing and following the God who became human for you. This Christmas, come near to God. It might mean praying to Him and telling Him that you've been holding Him at arm's length and that you want to change that. 
and that you want him to be near you, that you want to be with him. And then come and chat to one of us. Come let us know that's a step that you'd like to take a step toward God because we'd love to help you. We'd love to help you be with the God who promised Emmanuel, who promised to be with us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, while in the midst of Christmas, there is so much going on, it is amazing that you would descend and bind yourself, unite yourself to your creation. The commitment that you made that first Christmas set in motion the only way, the only possibility we have to be right with you, to be forgiven, to be raised from dead. Father, it is amazing what you have done for us to be with you. Please help us this Christmas to be blown away by that, to understand it more and deeply. And Father, please help us to want to be with you. Please help us not to hold you at arm's length but to invite you to be part of our life in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.